Well, good morning. What a beautiful day we have to be together, and it's good to see many of you. Uh, last Sunday, we were in a, a smaller group, had a lot of people that were traveling, some who were quarantined, and it looks like a, a lot of you are out of that, and you've returned, and it's just good to have you back. Especially for me, last week, I felt so out of place, you know, sitting in the pew uh, that's normally full of family. I was the only one. Uh, my wife was traveling with Amber, getting her back to school, and Joel, Joel and Debbie were traveling, and I was there all by my lonesome, and none of you came to set with me. I don't know if it was a, a second pew kind of thing or what it was, but um, anyway, I, I lived and I survived, but it was not easy. Someone asked, you know, how did it feel? And I said, I feel like I'm missing an arm. You know, it just, you know how you feel that way. And, and I did, it's just, um, but I did make it in my wife's home and it's good, all is good, all is well in the world again. You know, something that um, the Lord has kind of been laying on my heart uh, when I first came, I uh, began to speak with the leadership a little bit, and the idea came about, you know, that we should have some kind of leadership retreat, a, a visioning kind of retreat where we would assess some of the needs of the church and see some of the ways that we would be able to meet those needs. But then also to look beyond just ourselves and our needs to say, what are the needs of this community? What are ways that we can share this love that we have here, this love of Jesus Christ, to our neighbors and even beyond. And so uh, that's something that I've been praying about and been thinking about. And as you know, last week I announced that we were going to try to do a leadership retreat. And we were going to try to do that this past weekend. And we just immediately saw there's just, there's no way. There's too many uh, that are traveling, too many working, too many in quarantine, uh, too many things that are going on. And so the more I began to pray about it and talk, uh, the, I shared with the elders, you know, maybe we should do a really great spring retreat. Uh, weather would be better. Uh, more people would be able to plan and be involved in that. And I really believe this is all going to be over, uh, that God's going to just work a miracle and we're going to be done with this. And uh, everything will be fine. We put it all behind us and move forward. And what better time than to say we're looking to the future than to put this all past behind us. And so um, we're looking at a spring retreat now. But before that was even changed, I had been praying and thinking and, and studying God's word about a message on vision and wanted to share that with you uh, really to follow up a, a leadership retreat. Uh, but I think that it's still very timely. I think it's still very needed. And maybe this will be the springboard for us as we begin to then plan. Instead of it being a follow-up to a retreat, this will be the thing that plants some seeds in us today that will help us as we get planning for that spring retreat that is to come. So um, we'll look, we're going to look at vision today. And you may want to turn in your Bibles with me to the book of Proverbs. We're going to look at, I think if you were to ask pastors, you know, give me a great verse about vision. This is the first one they're going to go to, uh, this one single verse. And while you're turning there, let me share a little story with you. It's about 350 some years ago that a group of people decided to embark to a new world. And as they began to travel, they, they knew it would be a very treacherous journey. They boarded ships and got on the Atlantic Ocean. Many did not survive, but as they traveled that some 3,000 miles, they finally landed here in what we now know as our country, that new world that they had come to. 
in that very first year that they were here, they were able to establish a town. Uh, you know, they had buildings and homes and businesses that were being established and being able to, able to operate as a town. In the second year that they were in this new land, they established a government. Looking back, we may have said that was a real mistake, but anyway, they established a government. Um, in the third year, that government came together and felt that we should put all of our resources together, um, our labor together, and build a road five miles westward into the wilderness. So the next year, the town decided to impeach that government. Why would anyone want to go five miles into the wilderness? We have everything we need right here. Why would we be crazy enough to do something that, like that? Here were people that were brave and courageous enough to leave everything they had known, board a ship, and travel over 3,000 miles across an ocean. But now, after just a few short years, could not have enough vision to move five miles westward. Maybe we're like that. You know, I've been in many, many churches from day one, um, you know, I was, I was born, and I don't think I was in church that following Sunday. I may have been, I don't know. But I was certainly in church the next week. I mean, that's just the way it was. And I was raised in a home where, you know, the churches my dad pastored usually had a, a Sunday school, a Sunday morning, a Sunday night, and a Wednesday night. And we were there, no matter what. We were always there for every one of those services. And so I got to know a lot of churches, my, my dad's churches that he pastored. Of course, my father-in-law pastored a lot of churches, and he and I have had hours and hours and hours of conversations about churches, and then just the churches that I've been in. And every church is exactly the same. We love our heritage, and we love our history and where we've come from. Now, let me stop there because I love it too. And I don't ever want to lose that. Never. It's important to us. We must hold on to it. But I've seen so many people that if their spiritual life was metaphor, metaphorically made into driving a car, this is how they drive. You know them too, right? The best days are behind us. It'll never be like it was. And you're right. Because life is like that. And we all have great memories of our past, and it's difficult for us to look forward into our future and think, there are greater days ahead. The sermon I preached a few weeks ago that Josh referenced, the best is still yet to be. I believe that with all of my heart. And so we've got greater things that are still to come. We don't have to, you know, impeach our leadership because maybe we're wanting to venture out a little bit. No, we have faith to believe that God's got great things in store for us, and we want to accomplish those great things. There is no ocean of difficulty too great that we cannot accomplish together with the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's the message that I want us to look at this morning. Well, in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, probably the most popular passage of Scripture on vision, reading from the New International Version, it says this, Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Now, if you're like me, that's not the way you heard it all your life. 
uh, the way that you heard it, probably memorized it, probably have seen it on t-shirts, blankets, lunch boxes, Bible covers, and everything else, is from the King James Version, which simply says this, where there is no vision, the people perish. That's right. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Well, let's look a little bit this morning at vision. You've got an outline there in your worship folder, uh, and it'll also be on the screen for you this morning. First thing that I'd like to share with you this morning is that vision is the ability to see. It is awareness. Well, of course, the vision is an ability to see. What is vision? It's, it's the ability that I have physically to actually be able to see things. Although this week, mine's been bothering me a little bit. I've already got my appointment with Dr. Shewin this week. He's going to fix me up, make it all better. Uh, I know he will. I've got faith and confidence in him. But have you ever been there? Have you ever had that time where you've, you know, Dean, you just had some, some eye surgery where you couldn't see well and how frustrating it is and how aggravating it is because something has blurred your vision or, or maybe something's in your way and you cannot see. I know any time that I ever went to a concert or a movie, I'm not very tall, but I always find the tallest man in the, the building to sit behind, right? And it obstructs my view. Well, vision spiritually can many times be the exact same way. We've allowed things to cloud our vision. We've allowed things to obstruct our vision. And our vision, our godly spiritual vision, is an ability for us to see. It is an ability to be, and I have this word, it is an ability to be aware. It's an awareness. It's more than just seeing something. It's being aware of what we're looking at. I want to have the kind of awareness that Joshua and Caleb had. Do you remember in the book of Numbers, God comes to Moses and he tells him, I want you to choose 12 men, one from each tribe, to be spies. And I want you to go out into the land that God has promised us, that he has given us, and I want you to spy out the land and then come back and give us a report. Now, many times we give the other 10 a really bad rap. You know, they didn't lie. They exaggerated a couple of things, but they really didn't lie. They came back and they said, we saw their cities, and their cities are, are fortified with great walls. That was a common thing for every city of that day. How do you protect your city, your people? You build walls around it. And so every city did that. They knew that was going to be there. They expected that. But when they would come back, they exaggerated it to say, their walls are so huge and so big, we'll never be able to get through them. And then, of course, our favorite is when they describe the people. There are giants living in the land. Now, compared to their size, maybe these men did look like giants. And we know that there were some men. We, we know the story of David and Goliath. And there were some people who were just physically not the norm. They were big, big men. And so he came back and he said, these guys, are, they, they are uh, giants. Now, this is where they exaggerated. We looked like grasshoppers in their sight. So that would make these men somewhere 60, 65 feet tall, right? No, their mentality, their, their clouded vision of what they were seeing was obstructed by their fear. And so to them, that's how they felt. They'll crush us just how we crush grasshoppers. That's how they're going to crush us. So they, they didn't lie. They just exaggerated what they had seen out of their fear. But Joshua and Caleb, here was two men who had great 
godly spiritual vision. Here was two men that came and they began to explain all the great things they saw. Oh, it's a beautiful land. You should see the rivers. You should see the water. You should see the fruits and the vegetables that are there. It's a beautiful land. Of course, the Bible describes a land flowing with milk and honey. We can take this land. And what did we want to do with Joshua and Caleb? Yeah, impeach them. Kill them. Get rid of them. Matter of fact, there was grumbling enough to the point of saying, let's elect a new leader, kick Moses out, elect a new leader, and go back to Egypt. Here they were on the very threshold of entering the promised land that God had given them, and they were still ready to drive their car. My dad had this sermon that he always preached at revivals and things, and he called it the lightning bug camp meeting. And he said, too many churches are like lightning bugs. They only light up where they've been instead of where they're going. Isn't that true? And here are these guys. Hey, it was good there. We had food. Yeah, we were slaves, but we had food. We had lodging. We didn't have to fight for anything. Let's go back. See, I can shine my bright light on that and see. I'm, I'm, I can't see this. And so Joshua and Caleb, they're the only two. Out of all those 12 that went, Joshua and Caleb had that kind of vision. So being aware, first of all, is saying this. I believe the promises of the word of God that they are true. And what he has said, he will do. And I can do it through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the first part of being aware. It's in a spiritual awareness. But there's a second part of being aware. Um, I like to say it this way, especially when I, I would teach at the school and, and younger people. I, uh, I would always try to teach them, look for needs. Look for the needs of people. I would say there's three types of people. There's people who are oblivious to seeing any kind of needs. They just don't even see them. They walk right past them, never even seeing the need. And then there are the people that we would you know, see in the Good Samaritan story. They see the need, but they just refuse to do anything about it. They see it. They know it's there. They just refuse to do anything. And then there are those who see the need and they do something. And I would always encourage those young people, be that third person. When you see that need, do something about it. But you have to be aware. It's, some people have to train themselves to actually see that need. When I started my doctoral work at Anderson University, one of my professors uh, shared with me, it was right around the Thanksgiving season, and he shared a story about what their church was doing Thanksgiving. Now, please don't get me wrong. I think what this church did is a beautiful gesture uh, of love and support to that community. I've been involved in these things before myself. I think they're great. Uh, but the motives, let's look at the motives of it. And he said uh, what they decided to do, they were going to put these Thanksgiving baskets together, the entire meal, all the fixings in a basket. And they were going, they had adopted a community that they knew uh, was just a, a very socially underclassed community, financially a poor community, a lot of single moms. Uh, several people said, I know a grandmother that has seven or eight grandchildren she's raising there. Let's, every home, we're going to take one of these baskets to. And so the day came and they went to those homes and they were passing out these baskets and, and these couple, this couple of men, um, they went to a home and they, they were just so proud. They felt so good about what they were doing. And even, you know, one, um, he, and, and I've got a title for this because I've seen it so many times, um, he, he almost boasted and bragged 
You know, look what we're doing. Look at this. Look how we are a blessing. I call that the narcissistic blessing. Everybody look at how much I'm blessing someone. Yeah, and that's really the attitude they had. So they went to this door, and a lady came to the door, and they explained who they were, and her little boy came to the door with her, and uh, it was just interrupting everything they would say, and she would say. She kept trying to, you know, quieten him, and they, they finally they said, you know, we've got this basket, and everything's here to make a wonderful Thanksgiving dinner for you and your family. And the little boy kept saying, but mom, but mom, and she kept quietening down, you know, just just be quiet, don't, you don't worry about it. And so we as the church want to be a blessing to you and give you this basket. But mom, but mom, just quiet, don't worry about it. And so they give her the basket, the kid's still, mom, mom, mom. And she keeps, you know, shut up, just go back, you know, play. So finally they leave, they leave the basket. Well, after Thanksgiving, a couple of weeks went by and a different lady came to the church. She was from that community as well. And she came to the church to talk to the pastor. She said, there's two things I'd like to share. First, I want to thank you. Um, I'm actually that grandmother. I'm raising nine grandchildren and um, I would have never been able to have given them such a beautiful, nice Thanksgiving meal had it not been for your church. But I did want to share another thing with you. She said, there's another little boy in our neighborhood, he and his mother, and that little boy plays with my little boy a lot. It happened to be this couple that she kept shutting up her son. And she said, he was over at the house a couple of days after Thanksgiving playing with my son, and he noticed our basket. And he pointed out to my son, he said, oh, did they give you one too? And then the discussion started. And then the little boy said, oh, well, we gave ours away. So now this grandmother wanted to intervene. And so she, she, when she said, I need to ask, did the church come and give you a basket? Yeah, they gave us one. And did I hear you say, you gave your basket away? Yeah, we gave it away. Well, why? I know that your mother doesn't have the money to, to do a meal like this, and you've got your brothers and your sisters, and why would you give it away? He says, because we don't have an oven. And that's what the little boy was trying to tell the church people. See, being aware of a godly vision is more than just saying, this is the promise of the word of God. It's actually looking, what is the need that I can really meet here? I, I, this past summer, you know, my dad passed away. We got reacquainted and, uh, with a lot of families that my dad had pastored. And one lady, my mom was actually just talking to her this week. She said, I love my church. And you know, I love what we do. She said, there are a few things that my church does that I scratch my head about. And my mom said, really, what's that? She said, well, once a month we go to this very popular Jesus Chicken restaurant. And, uh, and, and we pay for the entire community. Anybody that comes gets a free meal that day, and our church pays for it at the end of the day. And she said, the only thing that, that I scratch my head about is, I've been up there to represent the church when they do that. And one day I just counted, and there wasn't one soul that came in there that day who really needed us to pay for that meal. She said, I just wonder what we could really do with that same money if we really found a need and helped people meet that need. Oh, it's great fellowship, it's great fun, you know, and that's great. There's a need for that. But be aware. Have a prayer time that says, Lord... Let me stand on the word of God and the promises that are in it like Joshua and Caleb did. 
Let me have that kind of awareness. But then, Lord, let me look beyond and see what are the true needs that I can meet in your name. That's a spiritual awareness that I believe our church and every one of us as Christians need to have. Well, the second part of this vision would be that we have to, vision is the faith to believe. It's an attitude. It is an attitude. Um, an attitude of faith. Do you live with an attitude of faith? I mean, what kind of faith do we really have? It ought to be the thing that distinguishes us more so than a non-believer. We have faith in something that is rock-solid, guaranteed truth, but yet we don't live that way. How strong really is our faith? What kind of faith do we really have? I want the kind of faith of a pastor friend of mine that felt a call to a small community uh, to, church, to plant a church. He went into this community, began to meet people, began to learn who they were and built relationships with them. And they started a new church in that community. Like most church plants, they had to meet in a city building that they were renting. So every week, they'd have to get there really early and set up for church. And then when church was over, they had to tear down. Michelle and I were part of a church plant in our first church. Uh, and every week, we'd go to a school, and we'd set everything up. And then that night, we'd go tear everything down. And I was so glad when they finally got in a building because it just is taxing, and it's, it's a lot of work. And here was this church, but they were willing to do it. They just knew this is what God called them to do. And the church was really growing. And they had grown to the point that they needed to build a building. And so they prayed and they fasted and they asked the Lord and God opened the door for them to get a beautiful piece of land uh, at a great price and, and they were able to get there. Then they started praying for the building that would be built there and they were able to raise the funds they needed to build their building. And the pastor, they had already finished most of it in his office. He was already meeting up, you know, his moved everything up to the new church building in that office. And, and on a specific Sunday, he had said, you know, in, in three weeks from today, Three weeks will be our very first worship service in our new building. And boy, they're excited about it. They invited a lot of guests to come in. And, and uh, just it, it was, you can imagine. So that week, he got a letter in the mail from the city. And an inspector had been out and said, uh, you cannot open your building. And the reason was there was some ordinance that had been established in probably... 1790, that said they would have to, to house of worships or any other uh, public meeting place had to have a either graveled or uh, paved parking lot for so many vehicles before they could open their doors. Can you imagine? And he said, we had just this lot that was just really nice, flat, level grass. And we were just going to keep it really short. And until we had the money, we were just going to park there. He said, that was the plan. And now they're telling us, you cannot open your doors till you have a parking lot. So the next Sunday, he said, I have the faith to believe that God called me to come plant a church in this town. Boy, everybody, thunderous applause. Yes, we agree wholeheartedly. I have full, an attitude of faith to believe that God allowed us and, and worked a deal for us to get this land. And everybody was, amen, that's right. And then God I have an attitude of faith to believe that he helped us to get this building built. Oh, yes. And I have an attitude of faith to believe that we're going to have a parking lot before two weeks. And it was dead quiet in the church. 
And he says, as a matter of fact, I'm not going to preach today. We're going to walk outside, and we're going to circle that lot. And we're going to start praying. And then I'm going to ask you guys to come up here in the week and walk this lot and pray every day and, and to fast about this because I believe God is going to allow us to open our doors two weeks from today. So they went out. They prayed. Monday morning, there was a knock on the door at the church. And the pastor went to the door, and it was a contractor who had excavated all the land where the church was built. And he said, Pastor, I don't know if you can help me or not. I am in a horrible, horrible situation. And it, it may cost me my business. My business may go bankrupt. And, and that would make me, personally, I would probably have to file for bankruptcy if I don't fix this problem. And the pastor invited me to his office to come in, in, you know, talk. Let's see what's going on. He said, well... I don't know if you knew this or not, but I got paid a contract to pave uh, a new section of the road up here behind the church. Yeah, I've seen your company up there, been working and everything. He said, well, I ordered way too much gravel. And I thought, that's okay, I'm just going to set it over to the side. But there's this crazy city ordinance that says so many feet off the side of the road, there can't be any obstacles, and that's where all my gravel is. I will give it to you if you will let me bring it down here and put it out over this lot. I'll, I'll rub my rollers over it and everything else. It's yours if you'll help me and save my business. <laughs> that's the kind of attitude of faith I want to have. The attitude of faith that says it's going to happen. Someone once said, you know, a lot of people say, well, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Faith says, I'll see it when I believe it. Faith is the fuel that visions live on. It's the food that nourishes our vision. I truly believe God is going to give this church, this body, even you as individuals, a great vision of what he wants us to do, where he wants us to go what he wants us to accomplish together. But it's going to take great faith to see it done. I want to have that kind of faith. So I want you to think about who is a person in the Bible that if I ask you, who's your hero of the faith, who would it be? Would it be Abraham or Moses or, or maybe those three Hebrew, Hebrew children, you know, that stood out in that great mass of people the only three standing and would not bow? Would it be Daniel that gets thrown in a lion's den? Maybe the apostles who left everything, left their homes, their families, their careers to follow Jesus Christ. Maybe the apostle Paul. Who would be that hero of the faith? Mine is the Old Testament Joseph. I love the Old Testament Joseph. I love everything about his life and his story. And I just think that to me, he's one of those heroes of the faith. And what did they share in common? Everyone had that kind of attitude. That kind of attitude that says, yeah, life stinks, but I have faith to believe. Yeah, this is a very bad situation, but I have faith to believe. Yeah, things didn't go my way. They didn't go as I had planned it, but I have faith to believe. I had faith to believe when my brothers turned against me and threw me into the bottom of this pit. I still had faith in my Lord. I had faith when I was falsely accused and thrown into prison, when I was forgotten there. I still had faith in my Lord. It's that kind of earth-moving faith 
that every one of those people would have. And it's the kind of faith that you and I have to have to see a vision. Well, let's look at the last one. Vision is the courage to do. It is action. Now, I'm going to make a confession to you. This is where I would be weak. Lord, make me aware. Give me a spiritual vision to stand upon the truth of the Word of God, the promises of the Word of God, and then, Lord, open my eyes to see needs that others may not see. Well, that's between me and God. I am 100% ready for that. Lord, give me that earth-moving, incredible, strong faith like those heroes of the Bible, faith to believe that you can do it. Man, that's between me and God. I'm fine with that. And now get up and strap on your boots and get a bunch of people and go do it. Wait a minute, Lord. Wait a minute. And I'll admit, a lot of that's because um, most of the time I just know that I can do it. And I'll just get up and do it. And the Lord never called me to do it alone. Oh, I've done a lot of things alone. But that is not how we're supposed to function. Paul tells us that we're the body of Christ. And I've so many times thought, well, I'm a hand, and a hand can do all these things. I need you to do what God wants this church to do. You need each other. You need me. We all need to be doing this together. It will never succeed if we don't do this together. We have to be a, a body unified together on God's vision and say, this is what God has called us to do. And we're going to do it. Together, we're going to do it. There are things that I can do that some of you would say, I don't ever want to do Some of you would never, ever get up on this platform to deliver a message. And that's okay. We have people who God's gifted to do that. But then there are some things like you're going to do. Don't ever put a paintbrush in my hand like Michelle and lead a, you know. No way. I told <laughs> don't marry Beth when when they first you know when they were talking about that she said she wasn't an artist I said you know there are so many things I've tried in life and every time I try them people will say to me you know it's a good thing you can preach <laughs> I don't really know what that means we need each other to be able to do this I told you how much I love Charlie Brown I love the little cartoon when Linus is sitting in front of the television and his sister Lucy comes in. She says, change the channel. And he says, and who's going to make me? She said, do you see these five fingers? When you look at these, they don't look like much. But when they come together, it's a weapon of force like you'd never believe. And Linus said, what channel did you want to watch? We were candidating for a youth ministry position, man, 30 years ago, and I'm sitting in the interviewer at somebody's house, and, and the, one of the persons asked my wife, they said, what's your husband's greatest weakness? And after about an hour and a half, she, uh, <laughs> no, she, she said it right off, and the hard part about it was, I was listening, I'm like, man, she is so right. She said, my husband is a dreamer. He loves to dream, and when he dreams, he dreams big. And she said, I will say this is one of his strengths, that a lot of times he's very discerning to what God wants him to do. He'll pray about it. He'll spend time alone with the Lord. I've even known him to fast over those things. 
And he really gets this vision of what he believes the Lord wants him to do. And then when the action part starts, I'll see him become discouraged. Maybe he's not getting the help he needed or thought he would get. Or maybe the work has just become too much to get it done. And she said, he'll settle. He'll settle for a lesser dream. Man, it tore me to pieces because I knew she is right. And so I've spent the last 30 years trying not to be that person. That when God said, here's the dream I have for you, I'll say, Lord, that's a big dream. Uh Uh-huh. Okay, let's do it. And I'm not going to settle. I don't know who it was in your lifetime who told you that you could not dream anymore. But I want to say to you this morning, I give you permission to dream again. Dream again and dream big. Dream big. Dream so big that you know this will fail if it's not God's dream. There's no way this can happen unless the Lord intervenes and takes control and it's His plan, not mine. It will fail. But if it's God, nothing No power can stand against me. Greater is he who is in me than he that is in the world. I can do all things through Christ Jesus who gives me strength. Dream those kind of dreams. We'll dream that kind of dream together, and we're going to see that it's done. Earlier in the message, I talked about a group of people that got on a ship and boarded and went 3,000 miles over a treacherous ocean and arrived in a new world. You know, if we back up a few hundred years before that, there were other ships that came to this new world searching for new things. In the spring of 1519, a Spanish fleet set sail for the new world. Hernando Cortez told his sailors, this mission must not fail. When they landed on the eastern shores of Mexico, they were immediately faced with hardships. Quietly, the men began to whisper, let's go back. Let's board the ships and let's go home. But Cortez said to the men, burn the ships. We're here to stay. Our life is here, so burn the ships. You know, many of us probably set sail on our journey many years ago. And there's probably been many times on this road of grace and mercy that we thought it was more comfortable. Let's just go back. I don't have to uh, work so hard. I don't have to pray so much. I don't have to do so many things that the Lord's calling me to do when I was there. And it always looked better, right? But we forget how miserable we were when we were there and think it always looked better. I'd say this morning, the Spirit of God's telling us to burn the ships. Burn the ships. That's not saying goodbye to our heritage. That's not saying goodbye to our history and who we were. That's our foundation. That's what we live on. That's, what we, that's who we are. You know, in Israel, all the, when a, a city was built in that land and it was conquered by an, another nation, when they came back to rebuild that city, they would dig down to that original uh, foundation, those original walls, And they would level it out, and then they would build on top of that. And then when that city was conquered, the next city would come in, and they would dig down to that 
city's walls, and they would build on top of that. I have a picture where I'm standing beside a city where they've actually dug down to the original foundation, and at the very bottom, you can see these rough rocks that there's no shape, no rhyme, no reason to them. They're just crammed in there any way they can get them. And then the next level, it's like they went and searched for better rocks, rocks that would fit in better, rocks that, that you know, were shaped better to build on. And then the next one, you can see, oh, they actually learned how to square these rocks up. And so they made them square. And then the next one, you can see, oh, now they learned how to do mortar. And they've mortared these together. And you can just see one nation built on top of another. That's you and I. We look back over our heritage and we say, we've got this foundation that's been built and we've just been building on it. And we're continuing to build on it. But I'll tell you this, if you went to that first nation right there and said, what do you think the future holds? They'd be just like us and say, what future do you mean? But there'd be a few who would say, I hope this isn't it. And I hope there's another and another and another. I'm sure there are people today who say, I love things as they are. Don't change them. But there's a few here today that they say, we've got to be the future. We've got to make sure that our children and their children and their children and their children, that they have a heritage to build on. That's what we've got to be. That's what we have to be. People who look to the vision of what God has in store. People always ask when you're a new pastor, what are you going to change? I'm not going to change anything. I'm going to follow what it is that the Holy Spirit of God says to change. Because if I bring my idea to you, probably all but one would say that's a horrible idea. My wife might back me, I don't know. Hopefully. Well, Josh will because I'm his boss. <laughs> but if I bring to you and say this was where I believe the Spirit of the Lord of God Almighty is leading us to go, I believe I'll get 100% that you'll say yes. I see it too. Because God's not just going to give me that vision. He's going to give you that vision. He's going to give us that vision together. Why? Well, Tom said it. Jesus had a vision. I've come to seek and save that which was lost. I'll give you the first point of your vision, and then I'm going to step out. If we are not a church that has a vision to reach lost people for Jesus Christ, then we need to quit right now. I don't want to talk about programs. I don't talk about anything else. That has to be vision number one. We help people find Jesus as their Savior. That's who we are. And it must be number one in our priorities. Helping people find Jesus. That they would know Jesus as their Savior. Receive His grace and mercy. That's our number one vision. Lord Jesus, today, give us a vision. I pray that you would begin to put in our spirits, speak to our minds and our hearts, that, Lord, we'd have a vision of being aware, aware of what the promise of God gives us of the truth, but also aware to really see what are the needs that need to be met, not just needs that make me feel good because I met that need. Let us not be looking for narcissistic blessings of, oh, Lord, look how I blessed those people. 
But Lord, let us be people that says, look what God enabled me to do to meet a need of somebody else. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to have that kind of faith, attitude of faith that says nothing is impossible with God. Nothing is impossible. And that, Lord, we would have that that kind of action within our lives, that desire to say, God's called me to do this. He's gifted me to do this. He's given me the ability to do this. It's my job to do it. Lord, give us a vision. And most of all, let that vision be to share the love and grace and mercy of Jesus Christ that others may know that grace and mercy and come to know Jesus as Savior. And I pray this in your name. Amen. Would you stand with me? Let's sing this song together.
touch, whatever it may be, Lord, I just pray that you would help meet that need in their life. And now, Lord, we pray that you'll bring us back together again for another wonderful time together in your name. We thank you for your love to us. We love you. We thank you for the Spirit of God that we can love one another. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.